are a Boston Bruins hockey fan. Some days, that's about the only thing that can drag you out of bed. Some shows about the Bruins are done from journalists. Others are done just from fans. Well, we're both. This is Unsupervised. You'll get expert analysis and opinions about Boston Bruins hockey, how they're playing, trade deadline and free agency, major event coverage. If it's Boston Bruins hockey, we're in the know and we're talking about it. This is Unsupervised. Now your host, Jake Reiser. I'm back. Don't worry. I'm back. I know I took a little bit of a week break. So did the NHL a little bit. Yeah, they had the All-Star break, but we I, we took a little bit of a break here. But we're back with Episode 3 of Unsupervised here on Stanley Cup of Chatter. My name is Jake Reiser, and today I'm joined... Yeah, I'm joined by another Terrier. I guess I just like him so much because I am one. He also writes for Bruins Daily. This is James Garrison. James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Just uh, had a nice weekend doing some college hockey coverage uh, up in Vermont, so... Fresh off of that, and yeah, I saw you had you had Joe on, so I, I feel like you should just keep having the the BU guys on can form kind of a, a coalition against uh, against Jim Montgomery, who I guess uh, those <laughs> are the BU reporters. Just gonna keep a rolodex between WTBU, the Daily Free Press. Just keep that rolodex coming here on unsupervised. Hundred percent, yeah. Well, BU definitely had a good weekend against Vermont. I'll tell you that. I'm glad you were up there to watch that. Yeah, definitely. It was. I guess, I don't know, if you're going to find a word to describe it, I think the best one would just be kind of just a relief. You know, they're back on track. I, I, I know you talked to Joe about the bean pot, and that was, yeah, it was definitely shocking and then pretty concerning, you know, the weekend they had against Merrimack. seemed like they started to go in the right direction on Saturday, and then it just kind of seemed like they were back to basics against Ravon. You know, not necessarily the toughest opponent, but it was good to see him get back in the win column. And it seems like they're back on track now. Speaking of seeing a team back in the win column after a little bit of a rough stretch, these Boston Bruins on a six-game win streak after coming back from the All-Star break a little bit shaky, they're doing really well, especially amidst this trade deadline that's going on. That's actually what we're going to lead off with right here. As we're recording this, we we have the breaking news that the New Jersey Devils have officially made the trade for Timo Meyer, whom a lot of people considered the number one trade deadline target. It's a huge haul both ways. It's Timo Meyer, Scott Harrington, and a couple of other contracts from the San Jose Sharks for Andreas Janssen, a couple of other prospects, a 2023 first, and a conditional 2024 first. And that condition is so hefty. Timo Meyer has to play in at least 50 games in 2023. And in the next two years the Devils have to make the Eastern Conference final if that happens it's a lottery protected top 10 pick otherwise it becomes a 2024 second rounder that was a mouthful coming out but what do you think finally the big target coming off the board yeah and it's you know this is the year where things just seem to happen a bit ahead of schedule started with the Horvat trade and also, it's, I mean, I don't know, I'm just waiting for, for some team in the Western Conference to make a bit of a splash, but it really just seems like the East that was already a bit stronger coming into the deadline. It's just, they continue to load up. It's, of the top six teams, it's now really Carolina that hasn't made any moves. So, I mean, I think the Devils, I, I would probably put them at six 
of the six teams, you know, just because it's their first time. But I mean, this is such a huge deal for them, especially if they can get the extension. We all know about the the big uh, offer sheet, his number 10 million. So it's a good trade for them. I think they gave up a lot, but you're going to have to do that. But I think in looking at, they didn't give up any of their top prospects. And I feel as far as picks go, they're not a team that's going to be in the lottery in years going forward. So I think it's a good deal for them and a good deal for the Sharks. I think that's probably the return that they were looking for. I think that's what the Devils hope, though. You know, they're, I wouldn't call them in the middle of a rebuild because they've got their core pieces in Nico Heeshear and Jack Hughes. But was it this year that was really the best year to go all in on a trade like this? Yeah, it might be something to help spur it along, but was this really the right year to make a move like this? I think it I think it really depends on whether or not they're able to extend him. I mean, you look at the Bruins, they've been really good the last few years at being able to trade for guys and extend them. If they give up all this for Meyer and he only plays their next 25 games and however far they go in the playoffs, I think it's definitely maybe being a little bit over-aggressive. So I think you've got to wait and see. Um, when you look at um, like a deal they made, the deal they made with Jack Hughes, that contract, getting him at $8 million, I think that's going to be a really good number for him in a few years. So if they are able to, you know, sign him for whatever it is, it's in the double digits, I think, you know, if you look at that Jack Hughes deal, that put them in position to do something like this. So if it's a rental, I don't like it. But if it's a, if it's a long-term thing, if it's an eight-year deal, I think it's just another step in, in kind of accelerating their rebuild. From what the insiders were saying today, the Devils got to a point where they were comfortable not having an extension tied on to make the trade happen. But it sounds like there will be an extension. Meyer, I think, was at nine, and the Devils were somewhere in the eights. I remember reading that somewhere. So they will get there at some point, but... Wow, I, I, I just think it's a lot, you know, for a team that does, I feel like they're waiting on Lindy Ruff to hand over the reins to Andrew Burnett. I just don't know how much Andrew Burnett is actually the one pulling the strings and Lindy Ruff is kind of the face of it all. You look at the success Burnett had in Florida, um, did so well there. They've got a good team, but I do think that they're overmatched and I think they've got other needs that they're going to have to address before they become a true contender. Goaltending, Vitek Vanacek, certainly interesting. Is he an elite NHL goaltender? No. Is he serviceable right now? Yeah. And if that's how you're going to go about it and just try and go into an all-out shootout and pray that your goaltender is there to make some saves, that's fine. Then you then I guess I'm more comfortable going ahead with something like this. But I felt like there were other needs than forward right now that the Devils could use to make themselves a stronger contender for the further future, not just right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at goalie. I think that's definitely... The number one thing, and right now they don't have it, so that's why I don't really. That's one of the reasons I don't really see them going too far in the playoffs. And it's just kind of an interesting, interesting situation because I think at the beginning of the year, at least for me, I kind of saw them where you'd be seeing like the Sabers and the Red Wings just kind of fighting for those bottom spots. So I think I don't know, you know, 100% of you know where they're allocating all their money. I'd pull up cap friendly, maybe that's a better idea. But I think. This Meyer extension is going to be interesting. They'll have the huge number. They'll have, you know, Jesper Brath. There's some big contracts up front. And the Dougie Hamilton contract, I think, you know, maybe when you're looking a couple of years down the road at the Devils and, you know, where they might be a little bit hurt in terms of where their money's allocated, I think it might be there because he's not exactly kind of in the same 
areas. Some of their younger players are a bit older. So just looking at career trajectories, if you're looking at the Devils in three to four years, I don't know. He's kind of more on the back end than some guys like Hughes and and both Hughes and and Meyer, who are really in the the peak of their career. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, what they're going to do to kind of fill those other areas and where that's going to come from. Because like you said, it is pretty top heavy. Definitely top heavy. Speaking of other teams that are top heavy, it's another team that you brought up that kind of lost out in this Timo Meyer sweepstakes. It's a team that actually Dougie Hamilton, you brought up his contract. He's a former member of them as well. That's the Carolina Hurricanes. I will wait until after the trade deadline passes to call them trade deadline losers because their team is still very good regardless. But... I don't know what you do if you're Tom Dundon and the Carolina Hurricanes right now. You lost out on the biggest pick. You're going to probably lose out on Patrick Kane. and it seems like it's a done deal. He's headed to the New York Rangers. All the other teams around you have made trades. From what I'm hearing, even the Lightning are doing things. It looks like Tanner Jeannot from the National Predators is probably headed Tampa's way. That's not confirmed yet, but ostensibly this week it might. We'll see. What does Carolina even do here? I feel like they're really lost now. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at the, the trade board, you know, they're, I think what they're looking at, they might, they're looking at maybe some centers and then, you know, that, that scoring wing to kind of fill the void that they're going to have with, with Patrick ready up. So guys like Meyer, I know they were linked to Ryan O'Reilly a little while back. You know, it's obviously Taves isn't going anywhere. So, they can still make some moves, but yeah, I know you said you're, you're going to wait till the deadline to call them losers. I think just in terms of their biggest needs, there's nobody really out there for them anymore. So I think what the best they can do is probably just bolster their depth. Um, they already got a really solid back end, so and and depth is a you know pretty strong suit for the team. So I just think they they really missed the boat. I I don't know obviously the ins and outs of you know where they might have fallen short in terms of negotiations, but I mean, we can look back in, in the end of the playoffs and if, you know, they lose in the second round to the Rangers or something, and you can, might be look at that as, as something that's just a team that got outbid for. You know, New York's a team that's already picked up a scoring winger in Tarasenko and it seems pretty likely that they're going to get Kane too. Two areas, two players that the Hurricanes would have loved to have had. Absolutely. Guys who can just put the puck in the back of the net no matter what they do. Yeah, Kane might be having a down year, except for the last probably 10 days. I think yeah. he's got, what, three goals or seven goals and three assists and 10 points in 10 days. It's just he decided once he wanted to get traded, I guess he would go on a tear to show what he was worth. So good for him. He's going to be a really good New York Ranger. Um, but even trades like an Ivan Barbashev trade, I feel like that would have benefited the Hurricanes really well, but he's off to Vegas. I feel like they just lost out on that depth. I do feel like the winner of this trade deadline is trade-related reasons. I think that's the new thing that came out this season. Uh, last season, yeah, we saw some surprise deals happen before the deadline. I think Campus Lindholm was one of those deals that matriculated a few days before the deadline for John Sweeney and the Bruins. We'll get to their big trade deadline deal in just a sec, but I think it's so fascinating to see teams publicly putting out that we're holding out guys because we're most likely trading them or we're exploring trading them. We have never seen this type of transparency from NHL teams before. And it's so refreshing. It's pretty interesting. I mean, one of my favorite parts, at least about the trade deadline, is just the rumor mill and the, the speculation and that feeds right into it. I mean, I think it started with Chikrin 
um, a few weeks back. And I remember when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, that's very transparent for NHL teams PR account to be tweeting that out. So, and I guess once they did it, everyone else was like, oh, I guess we can do this too. So I, I think it just kind of adds to the fun. It's interesting to see kind of, you know, how negotiation, it kind of shows you a little bit how negotiations might go. I mean, Chikram is a guy that was held out, I think it was last Wednesday. And, you know, he obviously still hasn't gone anywhere. So it's just interesting to see kind of what these guys go through. It's like, they're just, they kind of, they obviously know they're going to be traded if, you know, their team literally says for trade related reasons. And if it doesn't happen for a week or so, it's just kind of interesting to see them kind of wait and, and see where they'll end up. If Jacob Chikrin doesn't get traded by this deadline, Arizona shouldn't be able to trade him ever again. The fact that he sat out for so long and still hasn't had a deal come up. We thought LA was going to be the place. We, I guess we still think LA is going to be the place. We haven't heard anything otherwise. If he doesn't get dealt, he should never be dealt because this just has to be torture on a player. Uh, yeah, if, I mean, if playing for the Coyote wasn't torture enough, <laughs> I think this kind of makes it worse. And I, 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 I agree with you. I think LA still might be the spot, but... I feel like uh, of everything that's happened so early, I think this might actually be one that goes down to the wire on Friday. He's definitely got a hefty contract. He's wanted to out for a number of windows, I guess is what you would call it. He's also been hurt on and off. So if this is the time, it's definitely got to be now. I will say the player who's been hurt most by sitting out has to be Vladislav Gavrikov. We'll bring back in Don Sweeney and the Boston Bruins now. Everyone and their mother thought Don Sweeney was trading for Vladislav Gavrikov a week and a half ago, and that Columbus was saying, hey, get your cap stuff together. We don't want the Craig Smith contract. Get your cap situation together. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Don Sweeney picks up Dmitry Orlov and Garnett Hathaway from the Washington Capitals in exchange for Craig Smith and a couple of picks totally came out of left field. Aaron Portsline did a really interesting feature on the athletic about it that the blue jackets thought there was a deal in place and the Bruins kind of felt otherwise, but we had also heard that if the blue jackets got a better offer, they would have taken it while the Bruins were figuring that out. So I feel like there's a lot of, I don't know whether it's bridges burned, but I guess wires crossed would be the better way to figure it out. But in the end, the Bruins get Dimitri Orlov and Garnet Hathaway. And I think this is such a perfect deal for the Bruins. Totally masterminded. I agree. I think, I mean, you look at some of the areas they're looking at, it was honest, I think, well, lefty and righty, they're looking at both sides, and it's kind of a two-for-one with being able to get Orlov, a guy who can play both sides, and, you know, just bolstering their bottom six with Hathaway. But to me, what really stands out is the, just the nastiness in both players. And, I mean, you look at the Bruins and all the areas, they're really strong. I don't think they're, you know, weak in that, but it's definitely something they could add to. You can never have too much of that come playoff time. So I think what was interesting to me, for, at least for looking at the Gabrikov deal, I listened to 32 Thoughts, um, and Elliot Friedman said that it seems like Columbus at least thought they were in a very different place with the Bruins than the Bruins did. That's just kind of interesting. We'll shed a little light on that situation. But in terms of Orlov and, and Hathaway, I think – if, if the Bruins were to make one trade, and I don't know if they're going to make any other moves, but I think that's the move. to It's, it's you know, putting all their needs into one and, you know, dealing with the cap all in that one trade. So I guess, I don't know, it's kind of odd to call a trade maybe efficient, but I, I think just you know, taking care of basically all their business 
in one trade. It was it was really impressive to see. I would call maybe one guy a nastier dude than the other, but both of these guys bring the heat physically. It's an unfortunate moment for Bruins fans to remember, but Dimitri Orlov is technically the one who ended Kevin Miller's career, giving him a concussion in that playoff series. So yeah, it was a little dirty, but it goes to show he will throw his body around. He's only 5'11". He's only, I think, an inch taller than Matt Grizzlick, but he's got 30 pounds on him, I believe. So that will definitely make a difference. And Garnet Hathaway... I think he was, yeah, kind of Bunkport, Maine, and every kid from New England who dreams of being a Bruin playing hockey, you know. Yeah, he's definitely the prototypical Bruin. He's a guy who will throw his body around no matter what. He will hunt you down the boards. He will check you. He will just grind you against the glass. But he'll also put up goals. He scored the game-winning goal against the Bruins a couple of weeks ago for Washington. He's got nine goals on the season already. So I think the big thing that stands out for me about this trade is Don got guys that, yeah, they bring the snarl, they bring the heat, but they also bring the right metrics. Dmitry Orlov is fantastic at getting the puck out of the zone. It's a skill that's also super coveted. And a guy like Matt Grizzlick, but Orlov brings that snarl. Garnet Hathaway has more offense than a typical fourth liner should have. That's efficiency right there. I think it's a really fabulous deal. We'll see how it goes. We're hearing Orlov is going to be a pure rental. Understandable, I guess. There's some other cap needs that need to be met. <laughs> Don, you got to resign pasta. <laughs> But, you know, Hathaway, maybe he's a born Bruin and he resigns and he'd be an interesting addition to that fourth line. To me, that pasta deal would seal the deadline perfectly for me. If you could ship out Mike Riley's contract, maybe you send out Jakob's Borl as well, clear that cap, finish off. I don't know where I read this uh, this morning. The, I think it's 11 by 8 is what it's going to end up being for Pasternak and the Bruins, which I think would be a fantastic deal. I'm just wondering how it works out AAV-wise and signing bonus-wise, but that would cap off the perfect deadline is to have a Pasternak ascension. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think, I mean, we've seen it this whole year. We, we, we thought maybe Pasternak would sign at the beginning of the year in the preseason or even in the off season, it just hasn't. And the prices continue to go up. So, and I think it probably would continue towards the end of the season and however long the, the playoff run is. So I think it's in the Bruins best interest. I'm sure they probably would have liked to have gotten it done a little earlier, but you know, it, it was Postonok's right to, you know, bet on himself and, and see the kind of season that he had. He's had a phenomenal season. Um, so I think, yeah, you said it would be just the perfect way to cap it off. It reminds me a little bit of Aaron Judge for all you baseball fans out there. Man, just going into a prove-it contract year and putting up another 40-plus goal season, possibly even 50 if he can get there. He's not going to win the heart, unfortunately. Connor McDavid pretty much has it wrapped up. It could be just renamed the McDavid Award as much as the Selkie should be renamed the Bergeron Award at this point. But to put up the numbers Pasternak is doing... Don Sweeney should be kicking himself for not re-signing him earlier because he might have gotten a better deal. Pasternak is going to be one of those one-off deals that's not necessarily going to be a Bergeron or a Krejci or a Marshawn type deal where they take that hometown type of discount. Pasternak knows his worth, and he wants to get it. And, yeah, it would be great for Don Sweeney to sign him before the deadline, but he just re-signed him in general. Uh, talking about the Bruins roster as a whole as well, I don't think there's anything else that they need to do 
personnel-wise to add before this deadline. Frankly, I think the two biggest ads were getting Tomas Nosek back last night in Vancouver. We'll talk about the Bruins schedule in a little bit, but also getting Jake DeBrusque back from injury. Missed 17 games, scored three goals in four games, looked like he was shot out of a cannon. I think that's almost a bigger trade deadline reacquisition than getting Orlov and Hathaway is to get a healthy DeBrusque back because since Montgomery's come in, he's shown what type of a guy he can be. He's lived probably even more so than the first round pick where he was mid round than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. I mean, you, you saw the trajectory start to go in the right direction, basically as soon as you started killing penalties last year and playing with, with Bergeron and Martian, but there's obviously still that friction there with Cassie. And now it's just, you take that momentum that he had to exit the year last year and you just compound it. You know, the system plays to his speed. It's a great advantage. And, there was, like you said, no hesitation coming back. I mean, I think it's just he feels great. The team feels great. They're happy to have him. And, I mean, you want to talk about deadline moves. I think Hampus Lindholm trade last year, obviously a big, you know, help to where this team's at. But the fact that Sweeney didn't trade DeBrusque when he didn't have the return he wanted, I think, is going to go down as one of his best decisions as the Bruins GM. Absolutely. You know, you know, we are being so effusive of Don and the moves that he's made so far. He still does have some worries. You know, there's no natural one seed of Phil whenever Bergeron decides to call it quits. You can just keep your fingers crossed and hope guys like him and Krejci do the chara and just keep re-signing on one-year contracts until they feel like they're done. But you never know when the one-year contracts are going to be done and they just want to hang it up. So there are definitely some worries there. But for now, Don can definitely sit back and relax and think, at least for this year, He's done a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he's covered all his bases, at least as far as this year concerned in the future. We just talked about the Pasternak deal. Um, they have a 2C. They don't have a 1C. Um, so that's been the, been a question mark for a few years now. It's, it's something that they haven't and aren't going to address through the draft. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, when that day comes, what that is. But I think, you know, I'm sure he's doing his due diligence looking ahead, but as far as the Bruins and where they're allocating all their assets, it's all in this year. Absolutely. All in. Bruins roster right now equals very good. Yeah, number one in the league. Very good. We're going to take a quick break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about how that new roster is going to get applied. We've got some really interesting games coming up. Uh, we got to finish this Western Canada road trip. We've got a couple of really fascinating home games coming up and a lot of divisional play. But stick around right here on Unsupervised. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a community of Boston Bruins fans to call your own? What about game coverage and articles that bring you the best of the best? That's what Stanley Cup of Chowder is all about. Join us at StanleyCupOfChowder.com for all that and more. You're listening to Unsupervised. Find us on Twitter at Cup of Chowder and find more at StanleyCupOfChowder.com. Now, back to your host, Jake. Welcome back here on Unsupervised. I'm Jake Reiser alongside from Bruins Daily, James Garrison. We just talked about how good this Bruins roster is. They're definitely going to have to put it to the test now. 
everybody's talking about, oh, they could break the single season wins record. They could break the single season points record. We know they don't care about that. Their eyes and their ears are on the Stanley Cup. They know the regular season doesn't matter. They know they're in such good shape, but there are still some really tough games coming around the corner. They've got to finish up this Western Canada swing. They've got Edmonton and Calgary who are both Top, top teams. You got to go up against Connor McDavid. Calgary, yeah, maybe he's taking a little slide, but they've still got some firepower when they feel like they bring it out with um, Jonathan Huberdo. That was definitely an interesting trade in the offseason. They come home. They've got a Buffalo team who just can be a pain in the behind, who really improved and showed that their core and their rebuild is finally starting to hit the upswing. Then they've got the Rangers, who just got Tarasenko. will most likely have Patrick Kane for that game. Um, eventually, they'll hit Detroit next weekend. Detroit, if the season ended, would be in the playoff picture. They'd actually be the Bruins' first round matchup right now. Then they've got a crazy Midwest road swing. They go to Detroit. It's actually a home-and-home. Home. Chicago, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and then out to Buffalo. Tampa, Carolina, in Carolina, still on the board. The Devils at home. Toronto at home. They've got a lot of tough opponents coming up. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing that's going to be interesting to look at, you mentioned this before, is just how they, they manage their roster. I know Sweeney said in his availability uh, after the Orlop and Hathaway trade that they're probably going to sit some guys who have been a little bit banged up, stuff that they can play through, but, you know, that they, you know, could take some time off. And they didn't do that in Vancouver, so I'm still kind of interested to see who he was referring to, if he was referring to anyone or he was just, you know, kind of talking in the abstract. But their schedule, you said a lot of tough opponents and a lot of, you know, good amount of back-to-backs, three games in four nights. So, you know, they're going to want to keep the legs fresh. I don't think a lot of these guys are going to want to sit out just to sit out. But, you know, you see, you know, some of the older guys like Bergeron and Marchand taking maintenance days. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw them uh, taking maintenance games and just, you know, giving some looks to some other guys because they have the depth to do that, especially on D. I think these guys are so confident, though. I don't know whether they'll want to take maintenance games. Like, I don't know if you'll see Bergeron or Krejci Marchand take a game off necessarily, but you'll see their shifts scaled back. They're not going to play 20, 22 minutes a night. Maybe they'll play 15 minutes a night. They still obviously want to make their impact known, but they're going to take the edge off a little bit. Maybe they'll back off on a check that they might normally not have made. Maybe they won't stride as hard. I hope it doesn't result in bad losses or games where you go, oh man, if they were playing like they were the first 60 games of the season, if they weren't doing this load management thing, maybe they would have won that game. Granted, we're here for Stanley Cups. We're not here for regular season records, so says the Bruins. But... You just wonder what that type of load management is going to look like for sure. Um, the defense definitely has a little bit uh, clearer of a way that they can do load management because they've got seven genuinely qualified NHL defensemen. You saw it in Vancouver where Connor Clifton sat, let Dimitri Orlov come in. Uh, that game, we have to talk about the end of that game. Yeah, great to see Hampus Lindholm and Brad Marchand get on the scoreboard. But Linus Allmark the 13th goalie in the entirety of the NHL and the first Boston Bruins goalie in franchise history in their 100 years to score a goalie goal. I was actually in New York City. I was in my brother's apartment watching the game and he'll attest to this. I was jumping up and down and screaming in his kitchen. That was just so phenomenal knowing that both he and Sway have been trying 
all season. How close Allmark came at the Winter Classic, too. I think he missed it by a, a couple of inches, just missed that post. So for him to not only get a goal, but to do it in as efficient a manner as he did, fling it down, have some speed, a BB right into the middle of the net, that's just phenomenal. So cool. Yeah, I was actually calling the, the BU and UVM game. So there was, I think there was maybe, the game started at 7.30, so there was probably like six or seven minutes left. So we did have to stop mid-broadcast and just, you know, talk about it for a second because it's, I remember the only goalie goal I ever really remember watching was the Pecorine uh, goal, but it's just like, this is a special year and they added just like another really special moment for, for the goalies who have been really good. And I think I was at the game where, I think it was against the Flyers where Swayman came really close. He just hit the, the outside apron of the net, but. I didn't jump up and down, but I had the hands on the head and uh, <laughs> just kind of like obviously happy, but also just really surprised. I, 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 you know, I guess I feel like I should stop getting surprised by this, this Bruins <laughs> team, but something like that happens. It's always, you know, you got to take a second and just take it in. You know, two other guys who were jumping up and down were Omar and Swayman, the double goalie hug. You know, when they started that a couple of seasons ago, they talked about how being a goalie, yeah, it's competition, but it's a healthy competition. And they want to show that you should be supportive of your teammates and should be supportive of each other. And it's taken on a life of its own. And not only Bruins fans, but I think NHL fans in general just have fallen in love with it. And I think the one after the game in Vancouver might take the cake for best one. Yeah, I mean, they, I, they just have the best relationship. It's it's really fun to watch. Um, and, I mean, you look at their numbers. They, As good as Omar's numbers have been throughout the entire year, Swayman in the last, I don't know how many ever weeks, has been right up there with him. So the Bruins are in a great spot in terms of their goaltending. I was never one of the people who said they should trade one of their goalies. Like some other people were saying uh, a few weeks ago, but it, it's just a team that seems so close. and. and they're definitely no exception, if not like the most extreme example of that. You know, the people who wanted a Bruins goalie traded, they did technically get their wish. It was just Keith Kincaid yeah. coming in for, guess what? It's another BU guy. It's BU. Shane Bauer. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of Jeremy Swayman's numbers, yes, he's been great. Seattle was a little bit of an off night, as mm -hmm. it was for both goaltenders. But, wow, would I take seven games of a Stanley Cup final of Boston and Seattle. That was a highly entertaining bout. It it was, and I'm going to admit, maybe, you know, not do the greatest choice. I did kind of pass out on the couch second half of the third period. <laughs> so when I woke up, I, I did have to kind of have to go back and, and see how the game ended. But, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a great game. It, it definitely a, a far cry from the game that Seattle played at the Garden. That was, you know, basically a complete, a complete shutdown. Um, yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at those games and be like, well, the Bruins can win six five, but they can also win two one or three one. And I think, you know, in the playoffs, you don't really want to be in those type of shootout games. But, you know, the fact that they can beat you in so many different ways is why they have the record that they do. Absolutely, yeah, they can throw out different lineups. They can throw out different goaltenders. It doesn't matter. They just come at you hard. It, it's funny because in such recent seasons, by this time this year, we would be saying, "Oh, the Bruins needed X, Y, Z. I don't know why they didn't do this. Oh, there are so many bad losses here." 
I don't know if any of the losses I would have for the Bruins, I would consider them bad. I would consider them maybe more timely. The first loss against Seattle at home in Boston was timely. You needed that. The losing strength they just had, they kind of needed that little bit of adversity. I don't know if I necessarily want them to win the President's Trophy with the curse of not winning a Stanley Cup with winning the President's Trophy. It might just happen because of how good they are. But every good team needs some bit of adversity. They need a loss. They need a little bit of a knockdown. And those losses were timely. They had to happen in order to make the Bruins a better team. Yeah, and even if you look at their their three-game losing streak going right into the All-Star game and before Toronto, you could look at maybe like the Florida game as as the loss they might have let slip away. But what it looked to me in that in that stretch, it was there was a lot of fatigue and they were just kind of trying to get to the break. And and that's really the the first bit of adversity that they had. It was really good to me to see them go in and beat Toronto before the break, just to you know kind of keep the keep the vibes, keep the positivity up a little bit um, going into the break. But yeah, they haven't had a ton of adversity in, adversity in time in terms of you know major like long stretches when players a lot of players have been injured. They obviously had. The guys return, Marchand, McAvoy, they return pretty early in the beginning of the season. So I, it would be more concerning if it was a, a less experienced team that they haven't gone through as much adversity. But, you know, I think I think the three-game losing streak, the, they lost four out of five. They've responded to that well. Obviously, they've won six in a row. So anytime they've had what adversity they've had, I feel like they've responded pretty well to it. I think that goes to the coaching staff as well. You know, Jim Montgomery... I, I don't mean to badmouth Bruce Cassidy at all. He got us this close to a Stanley Cup in 2019. I will always lament the non-trip call on Nola Chari. But for six years after um, the departure of a longtime Bruins coach in Claude Julian, the guy who genuinely won them a Stanley Cup, for six years he was a phenomenal coach for this team. Everyone scratched their heads when he was fired last summer. They really just did need a new voice. Uh, Jim Montgomery hasn't exactly tweaked much on the defense. You can see the offense just clicking so much more. Even when they do hit those slumps, you know he knows how to go back to the basics, how to keep everybody encouraged. That's where I think it comes from. Yes, the Bruins also have a great locker room. Patrice Bergeron, Nick Foligno, guys who are holdovers from the Chara era are great examples of leaders within that locker room, but it also has to come from coaching because you can look at a collective group of leaders like that and you need your coach to step in and say, guys, it's not you. It's just the schedule. Or, hey, guys, it is you. We need to go back to the basics. And what, even when they have, yeah, the um, lost four in, four games in five, he brought them back to basics. He figured it out and he re-motivated them and got them going again. And to me, that's the sign of a Jack Adams, goal to, or a Jack Adams coach of the year right there. Yeah, I think what what really works with with the guys is is just his positivity and, and kind of just from hearing you know players do interviews or, or just hear them in, in, in post game availability. It's the positivity and it's just like the calmness and just like yeah, we can figure this out. And I think it just complements you know the the veteran group that they already have. I think he knows. I think Montgomery knows that this isn't a group that you know knows to that doesn't need to be you know told everything that they need to do. And we've seen times when Montgomery's given up the room. We saw it at the winter class. He's given up the room to Nick Foligno. So I think it just 
great complimentary pieces, the coaching staff, the positivity, the message they provide, but also knowing that this is a, a very veteran heavy group that, that can figure it out themselves. So I think it's just since the beginning, really, it's been just a really good, I guess, for lack of a better term, tandem between, you know, the coaching staff and the, the veteran leadership. The coaching staff in general does such a good job. Uh, Chris Kelly, 2011 Stanley Cup champion back there. BU alum Joe Sacco is also on the staff back there. Um, but it's all, to me, what's also interesting is having Zidane Chara still in Boston. I don't know how much he's genuinely around the team, but his presence is still felt around that locker room. And you have to give him credit for not only the Stanley Cup champion team in 2011, but even for last year and this year and the couple of years that he's been gone from the Bruins as a player, his impact on the way he changed the culture of the Bruins, that is tantamount. And what I think is going to be a huge difference when Bergeron and Marshawn and Krejci are finally done and hang them up, that his culture gets passed down from generation to generation, from them to the McAvoys and Pasternaks, and hopefully on and on. Yeah, you, you can talk about, you know, all the great seasons he provided and, and, and the leadership in those games. But I think, you know, what he's going to be remembered for most and, you know, what his biggest legacy is going to be is, establishing that culture at least re-establishing that culture and it's here now with with Bergeron and Marshan and and Krejci but I think what's most important is is looking at the future and like you said Pasternak, Backaboy, you know the future leaders I it seems like that they kind of have that message down and and maybe not yet they're prepared to take it on fully but this is you know it, it seems like it's going to be just a transition to be more gradual and them continue to adopt bigger and bigger roles I think Probably Bergeron and Krejci are going to retire before Mark and who saw Tara retire, then like Tuka retire. So it's gradual. It's been a gradual build, but I think you know just that culture they've been able to provide and, and have it manifest in things like guys taking you know cheaper deals. Maybe not as much in in the present as it was a few years ago, but it's just something that's allowed them to be you know a contender for as long as they have been. I will never make conjecture about when Patrice Bergeron will retire because it is all on him. And the fact that he is playing at such an elite pace at this age and with how much experience he has. Um, in my last recap, I, I was actually covered the Seattle Kraken game here on Stanley Cup of Chowder. Um, he is giving up less than a goal a game five on five for the entirety of the season. Whenever he's on the ice, he is just amazing. But when he finally decides to hang it up and take the C off his sweater, who do you think is the next Bruins captain? I think, I think it's Brad Marchand. Um, you know, it, it seems like kind of a, a crazy thought maybe, you know, six or seven years ago, but, and, and you'll still have, you know, some of the stuff he gets into, but I think just in terms of just, the respect that he commands because he's been alongside Bergeron and, and, you know, as important as he has been alongside Bergeron, I think, you know, obviously we don't need to, you know, try to project when everyone's going to retire, but it's obviously not going to be a super long captaincy because Marchand is younger than Bergeron, but not by, not by a lot. So I think he'll be the last piece in kind of handing over the baton to the Posternox and the McAvoy. So I think, you know, just leadership aside, I think just like that symbolic, he's kind of will probably be the last piece of the the Chara Bergeron era and just passing the torch into the 
the McAvoy's and the Pasternak's and whoever the captain after him would be. I don't know. I might go straight for McAvoy, someone who is the identity of the big bad Bruins, a strong defender, a guy who will knock you off your feet, someone the old fans can love, but also someone who's so quick on his feet, who will make those insane through the legs pass um, deflections off the boards and make those silky passes like he did to Pasternak um, against the Senators, a guy who who the new fans can appreciate as well. I think Bergeron is that great transitional captain to continue that direct Chara legacy, but I think if they really want to look for longevity, it's going to be McAvoy. He's someone who the entire fan base can get around. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think since, you know, they lost Chara and they lost Krug after the, the 2020 season. I think you can look at him, you can look at Pasternak and, and Brandon Carlo, some guys who, you know, embraced that, that bigger leadership role. And I think of those three, it definitely would be McAvoy. I think if it was Marshan, it would definitely be McAvoy after. And if it wasn't Marshan, it, it would be McAvoy immediately. And I think, you know, don't want to add too much BU stuff to, uh, to the podcast, but <laughs> it's always nice, to, you know, seeing that as well. Absolutely. All right, we're going to uh, start to wrap it up a little bit here. I do want to ask you a couple of quick questions, though. For the rest of the season, what's the one thing you're looking forward to the most about the Bruins? Um, regular season, I think really just kind of seeing how their deadline pieces pan out and how it impacts their lineup. Um, they have a few games, like they're, they're playing Tampa and they're playing Carolina, so maybe a few more measuring stick games just to see where everybody falls. After the playoffs, I, it's tough that they're getting Carolina twice this year on a back-to-back, which isn't going to always be the best indicator. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, some statistical chases. I know they said they don't care about it, but it will be interesting to see if they can break the wins record, the points record, see how many goals Pasternak can get up to. I think 50 is a safe bet. I don't know about 60. Maybe we'll see that's still a long ways away. Um and yeah, I think that's just going to be some interesting storylines to watch and, and just, you know, making sure everything's where it needs to be for the, for the hopefully deep playoff run that they have. In a season where everything's been almost perfect, what should Bruins fans be worried about the most? Obviously, you know, injuries happen. So I think that's definitely something just to be worried about. Um, I, I honestly don't think complacency is going to be uh, a big thing for them because I think it's definitely something that could have factored in and it hasn't yet. So if it hasn't factored in yet, I don't think it will. Um, in terms of anything else, I think, you know, just, I guess just, I think it's interesting to see how, you know, for them to be where I just, the fact that there's a six really, really good Eastern conference teams that have, well, we talked about five out of six have really added at the deadline. They're one of them. I don't think, you know, I think they're teams that are close to them, but I don't think they're teams that really gain significant ground on them through deadline moves. Um, there's definitely teams that got better. So I think that'll be just interesting to see which, you know, moves have the greatest impact on teams that are trying to take them down come playoff time. It's going to be really interesting. There is less than half of the season there's less than a third of the season we're right about that time it's the home stretch every game counts every point counts yeah the Bruins are in first place and by a good chunk but you never want to let your foot off the gas James I really appreciate you having on tell the people where they can find you and what you're up to um so Twitter 
uh, James Garrison, 27. And then main things at BU, uh, the Boston Hockey Blog. That's just the main coverage of BU hockey. It's, you know, BU is kind of in a similar position to the Bruins. Brown up poised to make runs, collect some championships. So definitely follow us there. Some really, really great people. Some of my best friends doing work there. So on Twitter, that would be at Boss Hockey Blog. And then Bruins Daily. Uh, working with uh, Tim Rosenthal and Rob Tachi. So find us on Twitter at Bruins Daily uh, and BruinsDaily.com. Well, there you have it, folks, from a guy who certainly knows his hockey. James, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate it. And that's going to do it for us on another episode of Unsupervised. Remember, just like trade-related reasons and all of the news from this weekend, there's always something brewing under the surface. We'll be back with another episode next week. Have a good one. You've You've been been listening listening to to Unsupervised. If it's happening with the Boston Bruins, we're in the know and we're talking about it. Giving you the inside scoop. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, review, and hey, share it with some friends. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with Jake on Twitter at Jake Riser and find Stanley Cup of Chowder at Cup of Chowder. And of course, engage with us and find out more at StanleyCupOfChowder.com. See you next time on Unsupervised. Mm-hmm.